for nearly two decades. The award-winning Your Financial Editor program on 930 WFMD. News from the worlds of business and finance with your financial editor, Chris Murray. Welcome to another edition of the Your Financial Editor program right here on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com and at iTunes as a podcast. I am Chris Murray. Thanks so much for being with us. I hope your uh, weekend's going well. Good program for you today. A lot of interesting top stories, economic data. And then joining me in just a little bit, the uh, president and CEO of the Small Business and Entrepreneurship Council, uh, Ms. Karen Kerrigan. She's going to be joining me to give us an update on just what's going on with uh, small businesses across the entire country and, um, and, and, and really giving us that inside information of what she's hearing from all the people that she works with from uh, the White House task force all the way to, like I said, the the folks that have their shingle hung outside their door. Um, when we look at uh, this week, it was a busy week, a lot going on, to say the least. Um, there was a big deal that was announced, and I think, uh, you know, it, it's important to kind of touch on that because it's something that we're going to see more of, and that's because um, it was in the energy sector. So U.S. oil and gas producer Devon Energy said on Monday that it was buying a company called WPX Energy for $2.56 billion. And uh, the the deal comes as the shale companies are posting losses due to weak crude prices. And, you know, they've got debt that they have to try to restructure. Um, The COVID uh, mess just you know, really threw a wrench in their fire uh, in their fan, excuse me, as far as the um, the demand goes. So uh, producers are, you know, they're they're seeking these combinations to try to survive this uh, virus induced slump in demand is basically what it amounts to. And, you know, you're going to see more sector consolidation, I think. And, and, and that's why this, I believe, is a precursor, because uh, this is just one deal that they, they think it's going to make sense. We'll have to wait and see. But, uh, again, I think there's going to be more to come for sure because of the, the strain on the energy sector. Even though the economy is really blasting back much quicker than what people believed, um, a lot of damage was done. I mean, there's a, a lot of, you know, just carnage in the wake of uh, of this virus and we're not even you know all the way done with it yet well we never will be but um in any event you know there's there's still a lot going on now marathon petroleum uh they're the largest u.s oil refiner they started cutting jobs across uh, the company this week as well so you've got as i mentioned these uh large losses uh as fuel consumption tumbled because of these lockdowns and from the work from home policies. Um, So everybody is trying to figure out what do we do? You know, again, is it a deal? Is it uh, job cuts? Um, The officials at Marathon, I saw, were saying that they're communicating with their employees about measures that they announced um, earlier to strengthen Marathon Petroleum for short term and long term success. But that spokesman didn't offer any specifics. So this is a company that's based in Ohio, and they've been shedding units to try to improve their results. About 60 salaried staff were let go by the middle of the day on Tuesday, 
at Marathon's large Galveston Bay plant out in Texas, and another 60 were dismissed at the company's Los Angeles refinery. And back in um, August, Marathon began closing refineries in California, New Mexico, and they had uh, eliminated 800 jobs. So this continues, like I said, to be a problem for a lot of uh, uh, companies, a lot of different industry and sectors. And that's why I think we're going to see more in that area when it comes to consolidation. Um, The other thing you really, you know, you hate to see. But it's just a fact that retail bankruptcies, uh, liquidations, just store closings in general in the United States reached uh, records in the first half of 2020 because of uh, the virus. So in the first six months, 18 retailers filed for Chapter 11 protection, mostly concentrated in apparel and footwear and in home furnishings, some department stores, grocery stores. And we've talked about them here on the program as time has gone by. But it's just a shame, like, when you look at uh, these companies like Neiman Marcus and JCPenney and Pier 1 Imports and um, and others uh, that have, you know, really suffered. And just from July through August, 11 more retailers filed for bankruptcy protection, including Brooks Brothers, Ann Taylor's uh, parent company, uh, Men's Warehouse, um, and Joseph A. Banks, their parent company. So, unfortunately, this year is on pace to rival what we saw in 2010 when 48 retailers filed for bankruptcy after the financial crisis and the housing bust. So, don't like to talk about it, but it's a fact. And, you know, it's something that we need to be aware of and, and um, you know, kind of make sure we know exactly what's going on in these certain areas. Now, this is something that, again, you know, I've talked a lot about how strong everything was before the virus came inside our country. Um, and this was just more proof of that. Because we saw this week, according to the Federal Reserve, they have a report that um, is called Household Finances. And it showed that U.S. families, their wealth broadly rose in the years headed into the virus uh, pandemic. With uh, those in lower income and lower wealth categories reaping relatively large gains. That was from the Federal Reserve. So as property and stock prices rose, households' median net worth or wealth, however you want to look at it, rose 18% from 2016 to 2019. So the Fed does this every three years, and they track, you know, what those results are. And again, this was uh, from the Fed Survey of Consumer Finances. And uh, that is produced every three years, like uh, like I mentioned, but it was up 18 percent. And families at the top of the income and wealth distributions experienced very little, if any, growth after experiencing um, gains from 13 to 18, the report said. But by contrast, these families near the bottom of the income and wealth distributions uh, levels generally saw their net worth continue to rise between 16 and 19. So just really good news, especially for folks that, um, you know, don't always uh, reap the the biggest rewards. They sure were from 2016 to 2019 and would have 
continued to uh, if uh, the virus, like I said, hadn't made its way inside uh, of our, our borders. So and here's the other thing I've been mentioning a lot. Um, well, not a lot, but periodically. Uh, and, and we saw the, the first of it this week. Pension funds have lodged lawsuits in the United States against a company called Allianz that's uh, headquartered in Germany. And they're one of the world's top asset managers. And these pension funds are suing them for failing to safeguard their investments during the virus market meltdown. I mean, I don't know. I guess the pension funds, they saw the virus coming. I mean, somebody had to have a magic ball, right? Or crystal ball. So market panic because of the virus that resulted in losses earlier this year impacted a lot of investors, which, by the way, if you didn't sell, you were fine. Um, But if you did, uh, which I guess some people did out of panic, uh, you know, they, they, they had losses, especially if they didn't get back in for the, uh, the rebound. And I guess this is a case that these pensions are making against um, Allianz. But in March, Allianz was forced to shutter two of their private hedge funds because of loss, uh, losses, prompting the wave of litigation the company says is legally and factually flawed. So um, you've got these various lawsuits filed in the U.S. Southern District Court of New York claim investors lost a total of about $4 billion. And um, Allianz is pushing back, as I mentioned, saying that, you know, legally and factually these charges are are flawed. And... Um, A spokesman for Allianz, I saw, said that while the losses were disappointing, the allegations made by claimants are flawed and we will defend ourselves vigorously against them. So, um, you know, this is just the start. And this is part of the problem of not getting a serious relief bill done in Congress with some type of legal protection for companies. Or nothing's going to work right going forward. You're going to have the ambulance chasers, you know, they will or they're already lining up for class action lawsuits. And it's going to be these businesses are going to be so afraid that they're actually just going to be forced out of business. Um, It's an embarrassment, you know, when people, like I said, act like somebody should know the perfect answer and how to protect everybody. And um, I mean, obviously, unless they're negligent especially grossly negligent, like we saw with the nursing homes and some other things. Um, But it's one of those things that, uh, you know, I I really believe is going to be a serious, serious problem uh, going forward. And we're going to have to see how it all plays out for sure. So a quick break. And when we come back, we'll uh, continue with some economic data, including that jobs report from yesterday. And my arms, a girl with all the charms of you. 
massive warehouse furniture liquidation is going on now at Regency Furniture. Tons of merchandise has been trucked in from the warehouse to the Regency showrooms. And now all furniture is offered at huge discounts and drastic markdowns, plus free delivery. Shop Regency Furniture in the Frederick Crossing Center. Free talk in the free state. Yeah, well, that's a matter of opinion. Free talk, 930 WFMD. When I was a little boy At the age of five I had something in my pocket Keep a lot of folks alive Now I'm a man Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor of Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And uh, you can go to iTunes and download the Your Financial Editor program as a podcast and uh, re-listen to it. Uh, or share it if you uh, if you'd like. As far as the data, a lot of it this week. This was a very busy week, and I'm gl- happy to say that it was a lot of good data as well. Um, one of the lagging pieces I saw: home price growth uh, continued to accelerate back in July. This is a piece from the S and P K Shiller National Home Price Index, which measures average home prices in major metropolitan areas across the entire country. And they were up 4.8% in the year ending in July. So um, a nice solid growth there, 4.8% from July of 19 to July of 2020. And um, when you listen to I saw a a comment from a chief economist at uh, Realtor.com saying that with buyer demand showing no sign of slowing down, um, as well as limited inventory, more price increases are inevitably on the horizon, according to that uh, that chief economist. And then you you could see in the report that Seattle and Phoenix and Charlotte posted the highest price gains of all the major U.S. cities. Uh, where really prices were particularly strong in the southeast and the west region. So just solid information there. Staying in the housing sector for a moment, more Americans signed contracts to buy homes in August. So that also suggests the hot U.S. housing market is going to continue to turn well into the fall with what we've seen so far. The National Association of Realtors said that their index of, uh, of pending home sales rose 8.8% to a record high of 132.8. So, um, you know, in the dark days back in April, it had sunk all the way to a reading of 69. And that's because buyers and sellers were sidelined. And now we're all the way up to 132.8, a record high. So the housing market has been one of the highlights of the U.S. economy. Contract signings are now 24.2% ahead of where they were last year. You got to love that piece of data. Um, We've been following more closely uh, at the firm the regional surveys than what we normally do. We're really on top of it because we want to make sure that we understand what's going on in all 12 districts of the Federal Reserve um, across the entire United States. And what we've seen so far, New York was was positive. The Philly Fed survey was positive. The Richmond Fed survey was positive. This week, I saw that Texas factory activity expanded in September for the fourth month in a row. So, um, 
you know, whether it's, you look at the production index, which is a key measure of state manufacturing conditions, it rose nine points to a reading of 22.3. That's the highest reading they've had in manufacturing in Texas in two years. So the new orders index um, and the growth rate of the orders index was uh, was above what they were anticipating. Capacity utilization index rose. Prices and wages increased further in September. Just a solid report there for sure. And again, I'll come back to, you know, we're talking about Texas, and I talked at the beginning of the program about all the pressure on the uh, energy sector, which is major in Texas, and you still see this very good manufacturing outlook survey. So that that uh, warmed my heart for sure, just as the other ones have. And then we saw the conference board come out with their consumer confidence index, and it increased in uh, September. The index now stands at a reading of 101.8, up all the way from 86.3 in August. Um, the present situation index, which is based on consumers' assessment of current business and labor market conditions, that improved. The expectations index based on consumers' short-term outlook for income and business and labor market con- uh, excuse me, conditions, that improved, increased. So consumer confidence increased sharply in September, and um, hopefully that will continue through the rest of the year. And then, of course, we had um, the initial jobless claims. Uh, they improved last week. Um, so... It was, you know, it was good to see. This is such a bittersweet thing when I look at my notes from from that from uh, reading it earlier this week. Is that weekly initial claims for jobless benefits fell by thirty six thousand from the previous week, but it was still an ugly number um, that we got from the labor department. Now, something that was a little more. Um, I guess easy to see and good news is the number of people collecting unemployment benefits through regular state programs, which cover most workers, decreased by 980,000. So that's the lowest level we've seen since March. So it was really good to see that. But, you know, again, we've got a lot of work to do. The ADP report was better than expected, much better than what economists were looking for. And then, of course, um, you know, yesterday when we got the jobs report uh, for the month of September, it showed that um, 661,000 jobs were added in the month of September and also that the unemployment rate went down to 7.9. It was at 84 And they did not expect that type of a drop. So mixed news there because more jobs were expected. I think the consensus was right around 800,000, 661,000 added. But the unemployment rate went from 8.4 to 7.9. So hopefully we'll continue to see improvement there. And it is going to be hard. I mean, this week, you know, I, I saw announcements about new job cuts from American Airlines. United Airlines, um, Allstate, the insurance company, Walt Disney, Shell Oil. Um, So there's – if we don't get everything opened back up 
and really pushing ahead, which I think would be easy to do because we've already experienced and seen in data the pent-up demand out there. Um, It's just the the regulations and the political nonsense that that hinders all this. So, you know, we'll, we'll... Hopefully be able to do that. You know, again, I saw the ISM manufacturing report was the national um, report up 50 up to a reading of 55.4 in September. Fourth straight month of expansion. Um, Consumer spending and uh, income. That was a mixed message. But the only reason personal income was down in August from the prior month, it was due entirely to a drop in unemployment benefits. And we know that there were people that were making more money staying at home unemployed than those working. And when that went away, it impacted some incomes. We saw that drop. But you know what didn't drop? The spending. Consumer spending continued to grow. Up 1% in August from a month earlier, according to the Commerce Department. So that was wonderful news. And, um, you know, hopefully... We'll continue to see that uh, uh, improve as well. And um, just like I said, get people back out there. Let them do what they want to do. Let them be responsible. Let them, you know, not live in in fear. And those folks that are compromised, got to take care of themselves. Family, neighbors, church members have to make sure, you know, that they all have exactly what they need. Uh, in the safest way possible. But other than that, you know, everybody else really, I think, wants to get back to uh, where we were the beginning of this year before the the virus made its way in uh, inside our borders. So, all right, uh, get a break here. And then when we come back, we'll be uh, speaking with my guest, Miss Karen Kerrigan. She's the uh, president, CEO of the Small Business and Entrepreneurship Council really getting a serious handle on what's going on with businesses, um, not just um, locally, but around the entire country. And, uh, you know, she's been in meetings where she literally sat right beside President Trump. And then she's talking to um, those small businesses out there and really understanding what their needs are. So um, we'll make sure that, uh, you know, we get as much information as we can from Ms. Kerrigan. Go to murrayfinancialgroup.com. Uh, the uh, complimentary download there for you. Uh, it's an eight-page piece titled, Are You Paying Too Much in Taxes in Retirement? Go to murrayfinancialgroup.com. It's on the homepage. It's a complimentary download, and um, I hope it, it, you know, really hope it's uh, helpful to you. Financial Editor with Chris Murray on 930 WFMD. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And, of course, at iTunes, where you can get uh, the Your Financial Editor program as a podcast. And 
I mentioned right before the uh, break there, we were going to jump into our conversation with my guest this morning, uh, Miss Karen Kerrigan. She is the uh, president and CEO of the Small Business and Entrepreneurship Council, a good friend of the program who takes time out of her schedule uh, to come and, and give us a briefing on um, on small business and what's going on from inside the Beltway all the way across the country uh, because of speaking with her members and getting input and knowing exactly what's going on with the small businesses out there. Good morning, Karen. How are you? I'm doing great, Chris. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks a lot, as I just mentioned, uh, you know, for taking time out of your schedule. I know you're very busy um, and involved in a lot of things. And plus, everybody, as we were talking about off air, is uh, we're all dealing with just the other nonsense. So I, I really do appreciate you taking the time. And I guess we'll just start off by um, getting your take on what is what's the current state of small businesses? Well, you know, it's uh, continues to be a very difficult time, um, as you know, Chris, uh, with small businesses across the country. Um, you know, there continues to be, um, uh, uh, you know, obviously the continued restrictions, it, it particularly very, um, you know, difficult and hard restrictions in some areas, areas of the country are taking a bigger toll, you know, in certain small businesses and industries. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're just hanging on. But unfortunately, we, we do continue to see a lot of closures, particularly um, in urban areas and in those industries hard hit, um, like restaurants, um, uh, you know, and, and just those types of businesses that really depend on the in, influx of workers that come into urban areas every day. Um, the bottom line is that, um, you know, Small businesses in our economy does need continuous uh, support and help um, uh, from Washington um, via, you know, some of the initiatives that we're working on. I mean, there's a big economic hole. And, yes, we saw, you know, 600,000-plus jobs that have been added back into the economy. So we're – I think we've we've added about 50 percent of the jobs that we've lost. Um, But – look at revenues continue revenue generation continues to be tough for a lot of small businesses and that's why gosh we just continue to push congress to say look at can't you just come together and develop some type of bipartisan you know package that's going to help um small businesses in the economy and we're not giving up uh you know we think we're going to get there chris but it's going to be late unfortunately for many small businesses uh, throughout the country, yeah, I, and it is. It's such a. It's such a shame, like you said, that uh, that we can't have um, some bipartisan uh, agreement on something that's so important. So I'll just get your opinion on this. Last week, I was talking about this last week when uh, Chairman Jerome Powell and Secretary Mnuchin were uh, speaking before the Senate. Uh, they came up with the idea that there's a lot of money. From the Fed uh, backstop program to some other monies, uh, relief monies that have never been tapped. It's just still there. Um, People haven't applied for it. And they were talking about uh, some type of repurpose. So as as we talked about, you know, direct relief to small businesses, certain income levels, you know, something that really just makes sense that they could use that money, uh, repackage it and say, hey, this is available even if we can't get through uh, these other larger um, relief packages that people are talking about? Yeah, you know, 
I did, you know, particularly I was interested in hearing uh, the chairman uh, when he was testifying uh, before the House committees, when they, a lot of the members implored him to think innovatively uh, about how to get capital, how to deploy capital to Main Street businesses. And, you know, look at his responses. We, we, we feel like we've done a good job. We don't think it's our job, you know, to um, do like a PPP program, although they are doing the Main Street lending program, and that's not really working well for Main Street. And, um, you know, what we've been um, advocating and pushing for, and the Fed has almost $600 billion, you know, of that money <laughs> that's sitting there, right? you know, that they can use. Uh, and this this is a turnkey approach um, that we've been talking about, that essentially establishing a Main Street Recovery Co-Investment Fund, where um, uh, a facility, um, the Treasury, the Fed, uh, using a fund would match um, uh, a crowdfunding dollars that are raised uh, by small businesses and entrepreneurs on regulated uh, crowdfunding platforms. We've seen that there's no fraud. We see that there's a lot of local businesses um, that have supported their communities and communities and individuals, you know, want to help small businesses survive and thrive or reinvent themselves, um, you know, pivot. And um, we, we're we just saying, look, if we're not going to be doing something legislatively, why can't the Fed and Treasury come together, establish a fund, use these the, the regulated platform is already uh, in place and just match these dollars. And, you know, this has been done in the U.K. to much uh, success. And um, uh, and so we're not recreating the wheel. It's something that's successful. It's something that will leverage local capital and keep that capital local. And we've seen with uh, debt and equity-based crowdfunding that it's very uh, inclusive, that minority women entrepreneurs are very successful uh, with these types of raises and helps them identify and access capital that they wouldn't have otherwise. So that's our idea for the Fed. We're like, look, we have a great idea. You don't have to process one application. I think that's what he's concerned about, the chairman. This is a turnkey approach that you can use. So we wanted to think innovatively, ideas like this, and we've been pushing ideas like this uh, before Congress, but also you know, with the Fed, and hopefully something will take hold. And again, so you think that's the reason for inaction is because they think it would be another uh, form of administration or uh, some type of a burden for processing? You know, I think with the Fed and when I when I heard the chairman talk, you know, when he said, well, when someone asked him, can you develop another fund that really hits local Main Street businesses, the ones that most need, you know, his response was, you know, we just don't, we're not set up for that. You know, we, we don't think we could develop, you know, this type of program. You know, we have the Main Street Lending Program. We have the funding facility. There's the PPP program. But, you know, I just, I, the, the chairman and maybe the staff around are not thinking innovatively about this because they wouldn't have to lift the finger, you know. And the neat thing about with equity and debt-based crowdfunding and sort of with the uh, their standard data, you know, that is used, and uh, data can be fed to the Fed or to the Treasury on a real-time basis uh, in terms of, you know, how much is being raised, what types of businesses are raising this. So it'd be probably the most accountable program they have out there <laughs> right? in terms of really seeing if something like this is working for Main Street businesses. So, um, look, I, I, 
we're still going the legislative track uh, right now. You know, you do have a discharge petition before the Congress that is being signed to at least vote on a package called H.R. 8265, which would, you know, fix the PPP, extend the PPP, allow for businesses to do a second draw. It does some modifications that would allow different types of businesses to use PPP. Eventually, we think something like that's going to take place. But we do need other types of programs, Chris, right? I mean, this is like a long-term haul for Main Street and for small businesses and for business creation in general. And so, you know, our recovery fund, we think it would be good for the short-term, mid-term, and long-term as Congress sort of renews these programs. But unfortunately, it's taken them forever to do so. Yeah, and and I I agree. That's the real problem. Like, this should be one of those situations where, you know, they're shoulder to shoulder with not a bit of light coming between them where they can say this is no one's fault here in the U.S. that it happened. And you do have um, a lot of collateral damage from the virus, uh, obviously with the businesses, but then that funnels out to the employees and, you know, all of the other terrible stuff. Like I said, that collateral damage that goes along with it, you know, if you lose your job and you don't have any support, um, you know, or you lose your business, then that leads to financial stress, to family stress, to foreclosures, to mental health issues. I mean, it's just I would I would really appreciate if they could leave the, you know, the pet projects and the pork and everything aside and say, yeah, target it. How can we do this to, you know, to get through this? And then we can put on our, you know, our uniforms or, our, our, you know, different uniforms on the other side of it and, and you know, get going at each other again. But we really need to to do something, like you said, whether it's the Fed, the Treasury, um, you know, the, the legislative body, something has to give. Yeah, the um, amen to that, Chris. And, you know, many of the Democrats wrote, um, about 23 of them actually, you know, wrote um, uh, uh, Speaker Pelosi a letter and said, look, if if we don't do a bipartisan package, we're going to sign on to this Republican-led discharge petition because we have to do something, number one. And number two, it includes so many, it it has all bipartisan actually measures. This H.R. 8265, which is the, the PPP, you know, Fix Extension Act. And um, and that really did, I think, is putting pressure on Pelosi um, and uh, uh, and Schumer uh, and negotiators to do something because uh, members of Congress, House members, particularly newly elected ones, want to go home and say, we did something for our small businesses. We did something for our constituents. And the sad thing is, Chris, a lot of there's so much common ground and consensus on these bipartisan pieces that they can pass. So you're right. It's like leave that other stuff aside that's very, very controversial, you know, and stick to the things that can really, really help local economies and local small businesses, which help then the local governments in terms of retaining and generating tax revenue and keep jobs, maintain jobs, right? So we don't have any other more job loss. In the country. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, That's gosh, I hope they do that. I mean, I don't know if that's a pipe dream or not, but I guess we'll just have to keep hoping and praying that that they do that. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue um, our conversation with my guest this morning, uh, Miss Karen Kerrigan. She's the president and CEO of the Small Business and Entrepreneurship Council. And uh, you can go to SBE Council dot org 
and um, see a lot of uh, fine work that the uh, the the organization uh, puts out there. It's a, a really good reading if you uh, want to read up on some of the things that 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 they have going on and that they're supporting and, and trying to get done. And when we come back on the other side of that, we'll talk about uh, some of their initiatives and um, and again a little bit more into. Um, trying to read the tea leaves as to how these companies are going to 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 do throughout the rest of this year so stay tuned i'm going down my nose is in the sand Tune into The Flatline every Sunday at 7 a.m. on 930 WFMD. Join Rick Hughes as he communicates clear and concise biblical principles designed to awaken the conscience of the hearers and remind them of age-old divine norms and standards. You'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. The Flatline, Sundays on 930 WFMD. How long is it going to go on like this? Stay tuned for the latest on reopening Mid-Maryland on News Radio 930 WFMD. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And, of course, go to iTunes and you can download the program as a podcast and uh, re-listen to it or share it, especially this kind of program where you're getting – you're literally getting the information as to what's going on with small businesses right from – uh, a credible uh, source and organization, and the person that is um, in charge of that organization, Miss Karen Kerrigan. She's the president and CEO of the Small Business and Entrepreneurship Council, and extremely involved in um, the the various uh, aspects of small business and entrepreneurs. Um, so, uh, Karen, tell us a little bit about some of the the. Uh, I guess, front burner things that you have going on at the SBE Council? Well, the big thing is getting a a relief and recovery package, um, uh, you know, through the Congress or or getting the negotiators to come to some agreement so that there will be relief and support for small businesses before they leave uh, to uh, campaign before the election. That's front and center. We've been joining with our friends in the business community. We have a no recess without relief effort going on right now uh, with the COVID Relief Now Coalition, which actually includes hundreds of small business groups at the state, local, and federal level, but also a lot of um, uh, other allies, uh, the mayor's groups and uh, some of the larger businesses. So, you know, really we're saying no recess without relief. There's no reason why there can't be a package that gets to the president's desk so that we can um, uh, get some more momentum going in the economy to help small businesses and some direct support. Um, You know, the other big thing, again, I talked a lot about the um, uh, this Main Street Recovery Co-Investment Fund, and I encourage uh, people to visit our website, sbecouncil.org, to learn more. We just did a policy briefing on October 1st, and the recording of that is going to be on our on, on the website. But it really is a way to supercharge local crowdfunding to unlock needed capital. And um, a report that we released with crowdfund capital advisors about a week ago, um, you know, it's, it's sort of like a congressional report card. And it demonstrates just how widespread 
crowdfunding has become, how the democratization of capital has taken hold. Um, Over 90% of House congressional districts have had um, a crowdfunding, um, have have had one of these uh, investment crowdfunding uh, 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 events taking place, or more, many multiple. Um, You know, when I look at Nancy Pelosi's district, you know, she's got over 55,000 retail investors, non-accredited investors who have become investors now in small businesses because of regulated crowdfunding. So, you know, we look at the success, we look at the fact there's been no fraud, and then we're like, here is a huge opportunity to supercharge this method with federal support, but the money would be paid back to the government. Um, and um, But it's just another avenue that we can really truly, uh, uh, very inclusive, democratize access to capital and uh, and bring capital to those businesses in those areas that need it the most. So that is one of our big efforts we have going on. And obviously, talking a lot about, you know, what are the issues that matter in this election? And you know what they are, Chris, right? The economy and, um, you know, what are the plans, you know, that each of the candidates have? Um, you know, what are the Marshall plans that they have to dig us, us out of this hole, uh, both uh, the short term, the midterm, and the long term? So we keep uh, pushing the, the candidates uh, in their campaigns um, and, and, and doing our advocacy uh, for them to really consider some of our ideas uh, to help small businesses, but also entrepreneurship moving forward. Yeah, well, those, uh, I mean, that all, all that you just spoke about that you're um, advocating for and pushing for are so important. And, you know, we all really appreciate, um, you know, the, the work that your organization does. And, you know, I'm sure the members do as well. You know, when we spoke a few months ago, um, we were talking about obviously the virus and what does this mean? And we're in the middle of all these, um, these lock homes and mandatory shelter in place and all the other stuff that I, I, you know, I've said openly for months, it's just a huge overreach, but everybody's trying to, you know, deal with it. But, you know, you mentioned, I remember you actually said there will be opportunities out of this as well. And I think that's because you're around, these entrepreneurs and these small business owners that are so resourceful. Um, does anything come to mind easily that where you've seen, uh, you know, uh, some people or some, some type of sectors actually benefit from what, what's going on? Well, you know, a couple come to mind. Number one um, is in education and just, you know, I think U S education was in need of a big, innovative event. It's something that would push the education industry or sector, if you will, to do some more innovating. And there's no doubt about it that because of the disruption, you know, of COVID um, in terms of education, both at the, um, you know, at every level of, you know, whether it's elementary school, junior high, high school or college, you know, we do see a lot of innovation going on there local entrepreneur or local entrepreneurs and generally you know taking what they've done locally uh in terms of tutoring in terms of um you know helping students and using platforms to to grow their businesses and to do this either regionally statewide or on a national basis so um and 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 parents actually looking for that type of support school systems looking for that type of support so this is a uh, and I'm hearing a lot of great things about what entrepreneurs are doing 
um, to take advantage of this disruption because I do not think education will go back to sort of the standard, you know, educational system that we had pre-COVID. So this is a big opportunity for entrepreneurs. You know, transportation, you know, every, anything that involves staying at home, you know, whether it's, you know, cooking or clothes, clothing for collaborative platforms, um, you know, getting parents and, uh, you know, the tools that they need to, to basically um, juggle both in terms of work and having their, having their children at home. Um, so there is a lot in the whole food industry and, and restaurants in general. There's just a lot of experimentation and innovation going on there as well. And a lot of collaboration, you know, across uh, uh, within the industry of, you know, restaurants or food manufacturers working together. Um, you know, so entrepreneurs are definitely finding uh, their niches here. And I don't know, uh, Chris, if you read that Wall Street Journal uh, story just a, a few days ago, really about the boom um, in, in in entrepreneurship and the filings, uh, you know, for people to start businesses, whether it's getting their employment identification number. That number has been up for a while, but now it's really going through the roof. One, I think people are looking for other sources of income, but I think, uh, and, and thinking ahead, because it is uncertain times, and what type of business, you know, can I possibly do if I get laid off from my job? But then secondly, just all the opportunities in the marketplace. So out of necessity or out of opportunity, we are seeing this boom in entrepreneurship, although we, we don't know how that's going to take hold and whether those entrepreneurs are going to be successful. But at least there is that great, the great interest in business creation. And that's another opportunity for Congress to come together to say, how can we support, you know, these, these, these new businesses? How can we support these people who want to become entrepreneurs? Do they have the tools, the resources? you know, the training that they need, right? Yep. Um, so there's the big opportunity for our elected officials, <laughs> you know, to, to help entrepreneurs or, or to encourage more people to become entrepreneurs. Yeah, no, well said. And like, you, you know, I mentioned earlier about the collateral damage and all the carnage and whatnot. And it's hard to look for, you know, the silver lining when you see uh, the hardships that people are going through. But they are there. Like you said, there are people that in the midst of this, as you just mentioned, and that was was a good article, by the way, where they are saying, I'm going to take the risk. You know, I'm going to try to do what, um, I, you know, I want to do and what I'm good at. And even though it's uh, choppy water, I'm going to do that and hopefully add value to people's lives through, you know, my business or service. So that's a silver lining, obviously getting certain supply chains back here to the United States, or at least, uh, you know, with a solid ally, I think is uh, part of the silver lining. Um, you mentioned, you know, about uh, some of the things that uh, these individuals and businesses are, are benefiting from, whether it's telemedicine or some type of uh, therapy that they can do online to help people through this stuff. Yep. So um, it's like I said, it's hard and I wish we didn't have to look for that silver lining, but we do. So um, I really appreciate uh, your passion. And, um, you know, I, I'm not just saying that. I mean, I think everybody can hear it in your your um, your talk as we've spoken today. And, uh, you know, it's it's your job. I get that. But I can I can uh, really feel and hear your passion and, and how you're trying to represent and make a difference for so many people. And it is hard keeping our shoulders to the wheel um, sometimes. But 
you know, I want to thank you for doing that and for everything that's going on at the Small Business and Entrepreneurship Council for being a friend of the program and really giving our listeners, you know, an, an, the insight as to uh, what's going on out there. So thank you very, very much. I hope to talk to you in the near future and um, all the best to you and your family. Well, thank you, Chris. It's my honor to do what I do every day. Thanks. I appreciate it, Karen. Um, enjoy the rest of your weekend. And as always, like I mentioned, we'll get Karen back on. We also, um, you know, they've got a great economist there who's been on before to give us some some real good insight as to uh, what's going on from the economic side of it. But, you know, go to sbecouncil.org. SBEcouncil.org. I know we have a lot of businesses that uh, and owners and, and management that listen to the program. I'm telling you, this is really good stuff that can um, that you you would benefit from. Uh, really good reads, solid information and education, no fluff. Um, and I think that's a, a benefit for all of us. Uh, you know, whether we're on the consumer side or you know you're actually uh, on the producer side, and um, And I think you'll find that beneficial. That does it for us. Uh, I will talk with you uh, on the Morning News Express, or at least I'll talk with Bob, on the Morning News Express, uh, weekday mornings, 5.50, 6.50, 7.50 a.m., where Bob and I have our live calls, uh, last for a couple minutes, and try to get caught up to date on what's going on in the world of business and finance. And then uh, back here next Saturday. So enjoy the rest of your weekend. This is Chris Murray wishing you and your family financial success. editions of this program are available in the audio vault at wfmd.com news radio 930 wfmd frederick a connoisseur media radio station seven o'clock